Um, so I've got two short readings tonight. They're both from uh, Matthew's Gospel. And the first one is taken from uh, Matthew chapter 8. And it starts from verse 23. And then the next one uh, is, as I said, in Matthew's Gospel. That's from uh, Matthew chapter 14. And that will start from verse 22. So it's just a short, two, two readings, very short uh, readings, very quick, because I haven't got a lot of time. So I'll be very quick what I say tonight. Is that all right? So get on with it, Norman. Right, okay. And I'll pray first. Father, we do thank you for your living word, and we thank you for the freedom to come into this building, Lord, and worship you, and sense your presence here, Lord. Thank you for the blessing that is to us. Be with us now, Lord, as we look into your word. Open up my mouth and stop it when it's necessary, Lord, because we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so starting at um, uh, verse 23 in uh, chapter 8, just to say very quickly at the beginning, I can't help but have a tangent. I feel a tangent moment coming on. Um, these are very, very familiar passages, and I've probably like you, I've heard lots of messages on them, and they've all been really good. But I thought tonight I would just gloss over the headlines a bit. We tend to look at the chapters and read the headlines, but I want to look at small print a little bit. So um, we'll do the headline bit as well, but we may do it upside down. Is that okay? I hope so, because that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, okay, so this follows on um, a short, uh, few, few verses talking about the cost of following Jesus. And then we go in to verse 23. And this is important. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. I'll read that again. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. So he didn't have a gun behind them. He didn't have their arms up their back. He got into the boat and they followed him. Okay? It's important. Without warning, a furious storm came up. Stop. If there had been a furious storm in the first place, they wouldn't have got in the boat. My opinion. <laughs> I wouldn't. Okay. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the wave obey him. Now, if we can flick forward onto chapter 14, um, starting at verse, what did we say? Verse 22. Now, here we go. You see a difference. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him. I'll say that again. Immediately, Jesus made, some say insist, the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. So it wasn't, what's your fancy, lads? Have they lie down, walk around the lake? No, he said, get into the boat. This is, it's all going to sound a bit silly, but you will understand this. Well, already you're getting adrift. There's a pun there. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, while, he dismissed the, while he dismissed the crowd, after he dis dismissed them, Jesus went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already considerable distance from the land. I think John's Gospel said it's about two or three miles in the middle of the lake. Um, 
buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Well, they would be, wouldn't they? I think I would be. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got out, got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and called him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. Okay, so two familiar passages from Scripture, all about boats, really. I don't know if you're into boats. Um, but, uh, oh, hang on, that's the end of it, but that's not the beginning. The thing about the Jews were, they are a desert people. They were a desert people and they are a desert people. They're not nautical people. They're not good sailors. If Jews lived in England, they'd still be looking for France. They would not have found it. There were, there were fishermen, but they got this psyche which, which told them that the sea was not good. The sea was a kind of evil thing for them. It's something to be avoided. They weren't confident. They liked the sand. Excellent. Lots of sunshine. Excellent. No good with the sun, with the sea. So they associated the sea, and I can support this a little bit because if you consider their knowledge of their Old Testament, effectively, the thinking about the sea would be, for example, Noah's Ark. You know, in Genesis, chapter seven of Genesis, where the ark's built, and there's a man in the desert, and God tells him to build an ark. Incidentally, he was an amateur; did a lot better job than the bloke at home on the wall of Titanic, didn't he? But anyway, so it shows you what you can achieve if you listen and follow God's guidance. He built this ark. And the family went into the ark and they said, we know the story. But basically, the, the danger was from, was from the rising waters. And again, they escaped from Egypt. When they escaped from Egypt, they got to basically the Red Sea, which was like, this is the difficult situation here because we've got these nutty Egyptians with their flashy new chariots chasing us. They don't really mean to do us any good. How do we cross the sea? But God parted the waves. And even in Psalm 23, which is a kind of reverse of that, it, it talks about being by still waters. Um, what, is it, what is the wording? Lead me beside still and quiet waters. Because the Jews believed that the waters would be still and quiet because they were controlled by God the Father and it was safe. It's not all over the place. So Jews and boats are not a good combination. Now, also, it's fair to say that the ancients believed in what they call four elements. And we still kind of hang on to this a little bit because we say oh, the elements, I've been out in the elements, you know, or this has been destroyed by the elements, meaning the weather, really. So what the ancients believed, they believed there were four elements. They believed there was earth, they believed there was water, air and fire. Okay, this was by an old boy called Aristotle, who was quite clever, um, but he got that wrong. And so, what they really um, were afraid of were the two chaotic elements in their thinking. One was water and the other one was air or wind. Because the other two, they believed, if you had a stone, for example, and you held it in your hand, you let it go, it'd go, boom, back to stone, back to earth. Whereas fire goes up, 
and tries to get back to the sun. I know it's all mad, but that's what they believe. But the other two, you couldn't trust them. They could do all sorts of dodgy things. So there was inherent, again, from that belief, that mis misunderstanding. Having said that, just a slight aside, he kind of got it wrong, Aristotle, of course, but there was, a, there was a sense in which he was sort of right, because if you think about it, it's the three states of matter, because Earth is solid, you know, water is liquid and air is, is gas. So those are your three states of matter and fire is energy. So there, he was sort of thinking around the right lines, but I think he got it wrong. He says in my notes, boat experience, optional. So <laughs> I'm going to do the boat experience. <laughs> so you have to bear with me and use your imagination. Um, I can't believe it. One day is like any other day. It's always like that round here. You get up and it's the same routine. But today, I heard about this man that was coming. Somebody called Jesus. I've never heard of him. We've had them before, by the way. These people come and they go, and it always ends up the same. They pass the app round and they go, and you never see him. But there's a load of people going down there, so I thought I'd go. So I went down, and I could never see anything like it. I can't believe I'm even saying this. In fact, I've got to say it because I can't believe it. If I don't say it, I'll forget it, and I'll think it's not true. I was there, and there was thousands of people there. And he was giving out bread. All these loads, I can't believe it. I just, and he's got these helpers, like, I don't know, a dozen of them. They were giving out this stuff. It was going on and on and on, and it was getting dark. And in the end, he came up to me, and, and he sort of put me his hand on my shoulder. And I'll tell you, he, he, this, this, he ain't got soft hands. All the ones that come in normally have got soft hands. They've never done a day's work in their life. His hands were hard. The people loved him. You know, he didn't talk down to them. He just spoke like they. He wasn't like the Pharisees and, and, and the rabbis and the teachers. His hands, he was a worker. Somebody said he was a carpenter, I don't know. Anyway, he, these 12 blokes, he told them to get in his boat. And I got this bloke, he stunk like a haddock. He came up to me, he says, you come. He's smelly bloke. Peter, I think his name was. Anyway, so we got in the boat to go across the other side because Jesus said he was going to see these people off and he was all handshakes up to the elbow and all that stuff and they were going, they were dead friendly. So I got in the boat. I hate boats. I don't know what you're like with boats. I hate these things because the boat's not there, is it? You've got to walk out to it. So I walked out to the boat and I'm soaking wet up to my knees. So I go to get in the boat like that. I bang my knee getting in and cut it. And then on my hand on the side, I've got a splinter in, well, actually half a splinter, because I try to pull it out and left the other half in. I'm sitting in the boat, and because it's, it's full of water, isn't it? I think, what's this going on here? Anyway, they all started speaking this funny language. Cast off the stern, the, the, the bow, yo-ho-ho, and all this stuff, like sailors. That I don't know what they're talking about. Anyway, so... I'm in this boat there, and there's a geezer sitting opposite me. He's gone green. I think he's called Matthew. I don't think he likes boats. He don't look very well, because it's all a bit like... Oh. Anyway, they've decided. It's now pitch dark. The bloke who smells like a haddock at the front. I can't understand that. He's at the front, and his brother Andrew's at the back with his stick. And he's telling him to do right hand, left hand. But the, the bloke with the... I suppose that's a steer. He, he can't see where he's going. So he's waiting for the bloke at the haddock, bloke at the front. Anyway... He says to me, you're on watch. 
It's pitch dark. I didn't have the art to say to him, what am I looking for? We're out, you know, it's all like this. Everybody feels a bit Tom and Dick. Anyway, I never saw it. Somebody started shouting out. And there was this like, you could just see this, this thing. It's really weird. Sorry about that. But I wanted to try and paint a bit of a picture of a first century fishing boat, right? The fishing boat stinks of fish. It's meant to have four men in it and to gather fish. There's at least 12 men in this boat, okay? It's probably got water in the bottom. It is probably old. You will get splinters of it. I'm trying to paint a picture of what it would be like to be in that boat. It doesn't take an awful lot of bad weather for the boat, which is overloaded. Think about the poor people that are trying to get into Europe. The boats you see them in, it wouldn't have been much better than that. So once it starts getting tossed about, it's a very difficult situation. They're not good sailors, even the the yo-ho-ho people, the ones that do the fishing, let alone the ones like Solomon the the Zealot. You know, they don't really go in boats. It's a difficult situation, and they're genuinely scared. Right. What lessons can we learn from the first reading in Matthew 8? What's going on there? Here's the thing about a boat. Well, actually, I'll have a slight tangent. This one, a right-handed tangent. Um, I remember years ago, we, we, I got sent on a course. I don't know why. See if I had a brain or something. We got in this course, and they put us in this room. So we all go in the room. Nobody knows anybody else. Seven or eight of us. We're all sitting there looking at each other. Oh, well, my name's Fred. I've got two children, and I, you know, I live in the seventh. We did all that rubbish. And then we're sitting there thinking, I don't know quite what's going to happen. All of a sudden, the door bursts open, and a man comes in like this. He looked very, very important chap. And he threw this stuff on the, on the table and then retreated to a neutral corner, as they say in boxing. So, and then he watched. He wanted to see what people would do. Who would pick up the pieces of paper first? Who would then decide to open them, put them together to understand what the message was? You know? So he was trying to calibrate what people were. It's called a sort of training thing. If you put 12 men in a boat, right, and put them on a lake, which is 13.1 miles long and 8 miles wide, and then there's a storm, you have to see how they're going to react. This was the church, the New Testament church, in a boat. In the first reading, they, were in, they followed Jesus. He said how difficult it was going to be to follow me. Then he got in a boat, and they, they followed him. Now, now you can see how difficult it is to follow me. Because, but he's asleep. This is no good. Jesus is fast asleep. The, the waters are all getting into the boat. It's not going to be long, lads, before the boat goes down. Who can swim? Not too many. So what are the lessons? Well, Jesus is showing his authority to them. You know, there are three sorts of miracles. There's the miracle of the natural, the miracle of healing, and the miracle of exorcism. This is the miracle of the natural, because they were terrified of the sea, they were terrified of the winds. These were chaotic elements to their, in their mindset. So all this comes up, but Jesus, when he wakes up, calms it. Okay? At the end of that, the end product of Matthew 8 is, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this that can do that? Who can do this? That's amazing. Okay? He also puts a link between fear and faith. His new church in the ark of the boat, can I use that word? It's like an ark, isn't it? His new church, this is going to be the church, they're all scared stiff, help us, get us out of this place, we don't like it. 
And he's saying to them, if you're fearful, you will have a small faith. You see, faith drives out fear. There's no place. Pastor Sim Please came a little while ago and he came to our home group. Within the first two or three minutes, the first thing he said, which is a bit uncomfortable for us Westerners with our ears, was fear God. Fear God. We like to say respect God. And that's true. It's absolutely right. But he actually said fear God. Because that's the one that's the one person to fear is God. And that is what Jesus is teaching them here. They're afraid of the waves and everything else, but it's not a problem to Jesus. It can all be calmed down. Psalm 65, verse 7. He who stilled the roaring sea. Okay, Jesus is showing them who he really is. This is a private miracle. Lots of the other miracles that were done, people were around, it was all in public. This is something. He's revealing himself to his church. He's showing himself to them. Nobody else was there. It's a private place. It might not be nobody else wants to be there. They've got any sense, but it's a private place. It's Jesus and his church, his disciples. Psalm 89, verse 9, you rule over the surging sea. When the waves mount up, you still them. They knew these verses. You know, I'm not very bright, but when, you, when you're in a boat and someone does that, I'm thinking, hmm, hmm, I wonder, I wonder. Now, the Matthew 14 verse, um, again, the boat provides a sort of a captive audience. This is interesting because this time the lads are in the boat on their own. Now, Jesus in the boat. Off you go, lads. I want you to, I want you to get in the boat. Not what you feel like, have a lie down because it's been a busy day and you know, you've had a lot of bread to eat, you need a kip. No, get in the boat, go across there. Again, it's not, it's not particularly bad, but it's setting off in the dark and it's... Not, not great. Very quickly, the weather gets bad again. And what's Jesus teaching people? Well, do you know what? Jesus gives a promise. He said, I promise you eternal life. But do you know what I think I hear sometimes? I promise you an easy life. No. 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 Jesus doesn't promise us an easy life. He promises us an eternal life. You might have an easy life, I don't know. But it's not a promise. But eternal life is. So they set off, and again it gets rough. And that was a bit, I know, that was me, that was me the 13th disciple with the splinters and the wet bottom and all the rest of it. But it would have been like that. The boat would have had a lot of water in it. You would have had wet feet. It was probably very cold. Now Jesus is not present amongst them physically. So what's he teaching them? What's all this walking on the water stuff? If you go back to Genesis, the story of creation, Genesis chapter 1, and God's spirit hovered over the waters. Okay? What is Jesus showing his disciples? This is his church. It's another private miracle. God's spirit hovered over the waters. There they are, stuck in the middle of, of this lake, which is the lowest, deepest freshwater lake in the world. There you are, nearly 700 feet below sea level, and this awful lake, and they see him hovering, but coming towards them. Now, because the headline thing is about Peter walking, and why did he sink, and he weren't much cop, was he, because he didn't really keep it up, and all that stuff. I'm not sure about all that stuff, I've heard all that, but but do you see what I'm saying? What he's showing them, he's revealing himself to them, they're a captive audience, they're thinking, this is amazing. So, so because the man that smells like haddock, Peter, because he's a fisherman, he has to, has, to, has to keep up appearances, he sees him, and he says, 
If you call me, I will come to you. Isn't that a prayer? Isn't that a prayer? If you call me, I will come. And, and Jesus answers his prayer and he calls him. And, and he, he starts to walk towards him. But, but what Jesus says is, take courage. Take courage. And here's the thing. There is a difference between bravery and courage. There is a real difference. My old granddad, who's about four foot nine, little man, it's a true story. You know, he was a soldier in the First World. They gave him this gun. He went forward. Somebody said boo, so he ran off. No, he went forward and they got thrown back. And on his way back, people used to get injured and they'd get caught on the wire. They used to call it the wire. But he was caught on, his, on, on the British wire and he heard this voice calling out help, help, and all the rest of it. And he went back and he helped that person. He carried them back to the trench. But in doing so, he heard another voice. This is a true story. I've got, I've got a little medal. And that was his cousin um, calling for help. And so he went back again a second time. Now, he had been a sniper, so what they used to do, they would leave people hanging on the wire and wait for people to try and rescue them, and, and then they would take aim at the people that tried to rescue them. So he knew that, but he went back to get his cousin, who incidentally was called Monkey's Uncle. I don't know what his real name was. Nobody knows. <laughs> but it, the point being is the first act was brave because it engages the heart. And this is what Peter's doing here. It's his heart. He knows it's Jesus. He knows it's Jesus because he knows his voice. You know, you've all got people, sadly, in your family that have passed on. But if their voice, if you heard their voice, you know it was them. But if you've got children like I have that never knew their grandfathers or, or for them, grandfathers, for me, parents, there's just a name on a piece of paper and a tree. It means nothing. But if I heard my father's voice, I would know it's him, even though he'd been dead nearly 40 years. I'd know it's him because I knew him personally. See, Peter knew the voice of Jesus. The heart thing, the bravery. Jesus said, take courage. Courage comes when we have to engage the brain. I remember I broke my leg when I was seven and this nice man said, come on, son, you'll be all right. He stood me up. I said, it wasn't all right. I broke both bones and the leg went like that and the bone came out. So I had to have it reset. So when I went to the hospital later, the doctor said to me, be brave, young man. I knew being brave meant you've got no choice, sunshine. If he'd have said, take courage, I'm going to give you some painkillers, it would have been so much better, but he didn't. And then he twisted me leg at the, the foot at the end to get it lined up. And it did hurt a bit, but obviously, but it's a long time ago. But there's a difference. There's bravery and there's courage. So on my granddad's medal, it says bravery and courage because he went back. And so what we've got here is Peter shows great bravery. He's known for that, isn't he? He talks and then thinks afterwards. Do you know, I'd love to be like Peter, though. We can criticise Peter, but I'd love to be like Peter. I'd love to be like that. Take courage. So why did Peter walk on the water? What was it? Was it his faith? Yes, you think? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. People say faith's good. You get it on the telly, on the, on the radio. Oh, man of faith, good chap. Good show. We like faith. Sounds good, doesn't it? Faith in what? What is your faith in? Peter placed his faith in Jesus. And because of that, that's a prayer. And Jesus answered that prayer and he walked on the water. And he was going towards Jesus, and then he thought, I'm a fisherman. I know about these things. This doesn't work. It can't work. And he had to put his faith in Peter. And he started to sink. 
like a stone. There's a pun there as well. Peter means stone. He started to go down. Sorry. I'm going to be very quiet. I know I'm supposed to be very quick. The outcome of this 14th chapter in Matthew is quite different. Do you know what? When they got in the boat, even though Peter started to sink and Jesus rescued him, he got in the boat, what was the outcome? I'll tell you what the outcome was. They all worshipped Jesus. They worshipped him. They didn't say, he's a clever chap, isn't he? By Jove, he's got a few tricks up his sleeve, this one. No, they worshipped Jesus. That's the first record in Matthew of Jesus being worshipped. It's a big thing for Jews to worship something. It's not a good deal. They were Jews. They worshipped the living God. Now they're worshipping the man in the boat that's just walked across the lake. That's a big deal. They were very, very impressed. I just want to draw some conclusions from this because I've, I've probably overrun. Oh, I have. I'm so sorry. There's only nine. <laughs> you think I'm joking? God is always good, but he's not always nice in the way that we want him to be. He's never anything other than perfect. He's always good. Jesus promises his eternal life, but not an easy life. Jesus has promised to be with us even to the end. So even when he wasn't there in the boat, he came to them. He was there. Yeah? Jesus wants our hearts for him. On a meeting, um, Ian was talking about this, this man, I think he was a journalist, I think his wife became a Christian, and he go, oh, I'm not, I'm not getting involved in all this hocus-pocus stuff, it's very dodgy, don't like it, don't like it. So his boss said to him, you know, do some investigative stuff. So he did all that, and he got the old yellow thick, and went, oh, that's all right, that's all right. Eventually, he eliminated all the reasons not to believe in Jesus, so he believed in Jesus. That wouldn't work for me, I've got to be honest with you. That couldn't work for me. I, it's got to be here for me. That's not a heart thing. That's a brain thing. I haven't got one of them. It's a heart. You know, what, which was the one in the, in, in the, in the Wizard of Oz? One without, without a brain. Was it the Tin Man? Or was it, no, I had no heart. Somebody help me. Who was it? The Scarecrow. The scarecrow. Jesus wants our heart. He does. He wants our heart. That's why, that's why Peter got out of the boat. Our faith is to be in the person of Jesus, not in faith or my faith in Jesus. It's got to be in the person of Jesus. All the disciples in the boat were obedient, not just Peter. That boat was an ark. That was an opportunity for Jesus to do some effective teaching to the New Testament church. He was teaching them who he was. Almost finally, the penultimate one that means, almost finally. You know what, if you want, we're an evangelical church. We want people to know about Jesus. You'll never, ever be used to bring someone to Jesus unless you know him yourself. I can't talk about somebody I don't know. People will suss you out immediately. I know this bloke, and they'll know straight away. I've got to know Jesus in my own heart. If I know Jesus in here, they'll look at me and go, oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, he does know him. I can tell. I can tell because of the way he's speaking. We have to know Jesus for ourselves. And this is what Jesus was teaching his disciples. This is a teaching lesson in a sinking boat. Kind of focuses your mind, doesn't it? Now, here's a question. This is the challenge. You're all here tonight, but are you in the boat? <laughs> Never mind about getting out of it, like Peter. We are here, but are we in the boat? Are you in the boat, Norman? Really? Really? 
because it can be dangerous in a boat because it's nice when you get in it sometimes and then all of a sudden the sea gets a bit rough. So my challenge is, as Carol said today, she's got this plant, she talks to it, she waters it, and it's alive, but it hasn't grown. Very sad. I don't want to be like that. I want God to be able to use even me sometimes to show his glory. And that's what I think some of the lessons from these two wonderful chapters about boats, <laughs> of which I know nothing. So thank you very much. I'm sorry I've overrun. Very badly overrun. <laughs>